Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm Ashton, and today I'm back with another haunting tale for you. This week we're discussing the infamous Penhurst State School and Hospital. You may also know it as the Penhurst Asylum. This one has quite the reputation, both before and after its abrupt closure. I've tried to cover this place several times, and I always have to stop for my own reasons, but I've already recorded this episode once tonight, and it's gone, so I think the universe is trying to tell me something. So let's get into it. In 1903, Pennsylvania legislation authorized the creation of the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic following the national trend aimed at segregating individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities from mainstream society. It would be state-funded and operated, the second such facility in the state. And, as you might have guessed, the school was surrounded by controversy from the start. Construction was completed in 1908, and the school opened later that year. I use the term school very loosely. Penhurst sits on over 100 acres of land, and there are multiple buildings on the property that are connected by a series of underground tunnels. Dining halls, kitchens, storerooms, cottages, teachers' homes, laundries, and power stations were also created along with the main housing units. Over eight decades of operation, more than 10,500 individuals resided at the 1,400-acre facility. At its peak, more than 3,500 patients were in custodial care at Penhurst. In 1913, legislature appointed a commission for the care of the feeble-minded, which stated that disabled people were unfit for citizenship and posed a menace to the peace, and thus recommended a program of custodial care. Because of this, Penhurst was home for those who fell into that category and were deemed unfit for society for any number of reasons, including physical and mental disabilities. And not just that, if they didn't know what to do with you, they sent you to Penhurst. Many of the patients included orphans, immigrants, criminals of varying degrees. There were proposals that involved the creation of female cottages in an effort to keep the male and female patients segregated due to concerns of reproduction. A female hall wouldn't be completed until 1930, though. Of the over 10,500 patients that passed through Penhurst, many believe that only half of them made it out alive. That number has never been confirmed, but reports of mistreatment began very early in the school's timeline. Despite the number, the high number of patients requiring care, the state provided the institution with very low funding. There were very few doctors, nurses, and orderlies available to meet the patient's needs. Because of this, patients were left together in rooms, tied to their beds, unable to move with minimal care provided. Many of the young people who could voice their concerns claimed that they were abused and neglected. The patients would reportedly receive, on average, three minutes per year of psychological care. Three minutes. They were punished for biting by having their teeth pulled, resulting in a lot of the patients having no teeth at all. The treatment was horrific. 
Pennhurst spent less per day feeding its patients than the local zoos spent to feed their animals. Many of the patients were loved by their families. This wasn't a place where a lot of the families would just go abandon their children. This was supposed to be a model facility for those with developmental or intellectual disabilities. So many of these patients were loved by their families and this was the best thing they thought they could do for them, right? Well, they began to notice that their loved ones would appear to have bruises and poor hygiene during their visits, but there was very little they could do from the outside. From day one, Penhurst was overcrowded, and this only continued throughout time. It was initially created to house 500 patients, but eventually the population peaked in the 1960s with more than 3,500 patients in custodial care at Penhurst. With no funding, not enough employees, and a very large number of the most vulnerable population in need of care, things were at a breaking point. Up until that time, the public had mainly turned a blind eye to the facility and the mistreatment, but that was eventually going to change. Beginning in the 1950s, parent advocates, social workers, and attorneys joined forces to challenge the dehumanizing conditions at Penhurst. These efforts ultimately paid off. In 1968, after having heard of Penhurst and its history, a brave young reporter named Bill Baldini produced an expose on the institution titled Suffer the Little Children. The expose drew public sympathy after it described the atrocities behind the doors of Penhurst and showed images of caged children and others who were half-clothed wandering aimlessly around the buildings. I'll link to the video on the blog post for the episode so you can check it out if you'd like. Just be warned, it's really tough to watch. For many people, this was the first they had heard of Penhurst, but the name would stick in their minds after watching the broadcast. I mean, how could it not? The five-part expose prompted nationwide outcry, a few lawsuits, and a ton of changes. One of the lawsuits was filed on behalf of one of the patients who spent time at Penhurst. Her name was Terry Lee Halderman, and the lawsuit began after her family discovered unexplained bruises on her after a visit. The lawsuit asserted that those with developmental disabilities in the care of the state have a constitutional right to appropriate care and education. The courts later found that conditions at Penhurst were unsanitary, inhumane, and dangerous, violating the 14th Amendment, and that Penhurst used cruel and unusual punishment in violation with the 8th and 14th Amendments, as well as the Pennsylvania Mental Health and Retardation Act of 1966. This lawsuit was the first of many that paved the way for greater educational opportunities and community-based living arrangements for people with developmental disabilities, and ultimately led to the end of mass institutionalism in the United States. It's pretty badass. There were several lawsuits involved in this, which led to three huge social changes. The first was a right to education, which was PARC versus Pennsylvania in 1972. The second was a right to live in regular homes in everyday neighborhoods, neighborhoods, which was Halderman versus Penhurst of 1978. 
And the third was a right to treatment to improve their lives without abuse and neglect, which was Romeo versus Youngberg, 1982. Halderman versus Pennhurst State School and Hospital was settled in 1984 and led to the institution's closure in 1987. Following the closure of Pennhurst, the Commonwealth closed numerous other facilities for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities. In 2008, the property was added to the National Register of Historic Places, and in 2010, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania dedicated a a historical marker to Pennhurst's enduring legacy in Pennsylvania and American history. Since then, the property has been revived and is the site of a haunted house, which is much to the dismay of many. Pennhurst has garnered attention for... You guessed it, the reported hauntings and dark energy surrounding the property. The property, as I mentioned, is huge. And in case you forgot, there's a series of underground tunnels that connects a lot of the buildings. This leaves a lot of space, a lot of creepy space for the spirits of those who lived and died on the property to roam. Many believe that the horrific history of Pennhurst has left a buzz of energy that floods the building and leaves a lasting impact on those who are brave enough to traverse the halls after dark. The property is decaying from the outside, and on the inside, graffiti covers the walls. Remnants of the haunted past sit waiting to be reclaimed by nature. There are wheelchairs, beds, chairs clothing, and bedding that have been left behind as a lasting reminder of the people who were sent there over 100 years ago. Visitors who come to the property today report hearing door slamming, voices, the sounds of crying and vomiting, as well as sounds of footsteps with no one around. Random music tunes have been reported as well, which is probably the most creepy thing to me. Unexplained music always freaks me out. Absolutely not. The most common apparition is that of a little girl wandering around the property looking confused and frightened. Some visitors have felt cold blasts of air as if something or someone is walking quickly past them. Others have felt what they can only describe as something pulling on their clothing or tapping them as if trying to get their attention. Reports of a former maintenance worker still roaming the property have been rampant, with many including similar details surrounding the smell of cigar smoke in the basement. Unlike many of the other reported spirits on the property, he is not a friendly one. He will touch you without permission and tell you to get out if you linger for too long. I found a Reddit thread from four years ago on the subreddit called Ghosts, and this poster's username is Goddess Lizzie. At the time, they had worked at Pennhurst for three years in the haunted house, and they posted in the subreddit, open to questions about the paranormal and other experiences they had on the property. They described a few such experiences where they had seen, heard, smelled, felt, and been touched by spirits at Pennhurst. The poster also described a little girl who enjoys playing with the visitors and tugging on their clothes. She also described a darker entity in the day room in the admin building who scratched her on one occasion and who was known to lock people inside the lockers. So look out for that if you're heading to Penhurst. Yikes. 
But shout out to you, Goddess Lizzie. I loved reading your experiences. And I'll link to it on the blog post for you guys to check out if you'd like. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Haunted Corner. If you have any experiences at Pennhurst, please send them my way. I'd love to include them on our first Listener Corner episode. That's coming up very soon. Send your stories my way if you have them. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed on the blog post at www.thehauntedcorner.com. It's also linked to in the show notes. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every week. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head on over to Patreon. You'll have access to the exclusive Patreon-only episodes. You get a bonus sticker if you support at the $5 per month level. You also get early and ad-free access to these regular feed episodes, plus a lot more. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend and rate and review wherever you listen. It really helps the show out. If you have a case suggestion or correction to share, or you want to tell me a spooky story you have, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you soon. Bye.